What is up, everyone? I hope you're doing fantastic today. This is Rafael Garcia here with Schwan Humes for episode 193 of the MMA Ratings Podcast. We are here to talk about a couple of different things, including definitely UFC 257 and all of the fallout from this past weekend's card. But before we do, let me take a moment and say thank you for joining us today. As always, you can find all of our content across MMARatings.net, which is our flagship. Also, check out MMARatings.com, same domain, but you can hit us up in both spots. All of our social media is at MMARatingsNet. That's on Instagram and Twitter. And you can check out this podcast across Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Spotify, and Anchor as well. Um, you can check us out on YouTube too, MMARatings. That's it. And, and myself, I'm on Instagram and Twitter at rgarcia underscore sports. Shawan Humes, he is at Black Jordan Brave. But Shawan, man, how you doing, sir? It's been a couple of days since we talked last. Uh, not too bad. Busy as always, you know. Always something going on. Mostly just picking up kids and uh, who uh, got to train, picking up some new clients, and then people want you to go to the games to watch the kids play, and it's just it's always something. It's always something. You had to take the girls to the game yesterday, right? Uh, my daughter had a game, and she they played yesterday. But like when I when 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 you train kids in basketball, what ends up happening is for you to best understand the kid, you have to kind of see them play, and parents want you to come see them play so that you can fix all the stuff they don't like that the kid does. They can have you see so you can fix it. What and how's your daughter who got hurt? Like, is she still out? Like, what was the prognosis? We never talked about that. We got an x ray for her, um, but they need to set an MRI. We sk- we went there on the 25th of December, like 23rd of December, and then they hadn't called us back because they were supposed to call us. Then I called the insurance agency. They said the doctor office never called them. So then I called them, the doctor's office, and then they called the insurance agency and they just put in the request for the MRI last Friday. After like been almost like a month, yeah. So we're gonna we we don't even know what's going on yet because they didn't file the paperwork. But she she seems like she's she seems like she's in less pain. But you'd like to know exactly what's going on, and we don't because they were just not taking care of business. To be fair, I love the healthcare system, man. It sucks and it's gonna screw you over in the long run. It's expensive and they want to screw you over. That's the worst part. It'd be different if it's cheap. At least I know what I'm getting. But cost money and they want to screw you over. Yeah, that sucks and that blows. Oh, man, but let's go ahead and, and segue. I don't know how to segue out of that. We're going to go and start talking about. Well, Connor was injured. His knee was injured, so. Well, yeah, I'm sure he'll come up with an excuse in about two to three months, and everybody will play along right with that. But he is going to need some type of excuse after his performance on Saturday where he was knocked out in the second round at UFC 257 by Dustin Poirier. And this was – not how we expected it to go. We thought that Poirier would take a lot of damage early and he would possibly get stopped. And if it went long beyond the second round, we would see him uh, initiate more of a grappling game to wear Connor, Connor down. But he implemented that game a little bit earlier than expected and it played out dividends. That and also the leg kicking game that really stalled all of McGregor's offense. So let's start with Poirier's game plan first, Juan. What did you see there and what kind of stood out to you most? Well, it, it didn't... What, Por, what Poirier did didn't shock me because I, I knew people in this camp and they were telling me the first fight with Conor McGregor, the first fight was supposed to be more similar to this fight. There were supposed to be takedowns, there were supposed to be tie-ups, 
take away some of the explosiveness, see how Connor does outside of the first round. That was their initial plan. Um, he got a little starstruck and he got dropped early and finished early. So he never got a chance to work to this. So what Dustin Poirier was doing wasn't a big shock to me. You're, that's what that's that's what you want to do. Everybody who's really troubled Connor has been able to get past the first round and essentially ratchet up the pressure, like you said last week. If he gets past the first round, he can ratchet up the pressure. Um, I expected him to go for the takedowns earlier because in initial exchanges, in the first exchanges in a fight against Conor McGregor, it's really hard to navigate the distance. It's really hard to stay away from his key weapons. So instead of just engaging in that, tie him up, clinch him, take him down, take some of the energy away, make him feel make him feel like he has to make up some of the make up some of the gap. Like, oh, I've got a little bit ahead of you. I took you down. I first, and now when he gets back to his feet, he's gonna feel the need to assert himself. That's what Conor does. He comes out, tries to assert himself, take take control of the cage, and imposes will on his opponent. Dustin knew he'd do that. And so once they got back up, Connor's looking for the knockout. He's trying to chase him. He, he's not really setting anything up. He, he's not applying the appropriate pressure. And Dustin's able to navigate the strikes, last into the second round. And then when the second round came around, you know, Connor's already been compromised by the kicks. Connor's, the power in his punches has been taken out because his legs don't, he, he can't balance himself. He can't transfer weight. He can't support himself securely. So he can't do as much damage even when he's landing strikes. And then he had Poirier on the fence. Poirier circles off. He gets Connor on the fence. Connor doesn't. Connor doesn't have the mobility to move off, angle off, or circle off. So basically, he's a sitting target, and all he can do is ro- roll, slip, and parry shots. And I don't care how good you are, even Floyd Mayweather can't stay in one area and let a guy tee off on them, rolling, slipping, and covering up some shots. You're going to get hit with something, and that's eventually what Connor did. Um, I think he was hurt badly by the punches. I think the fact that he didn't have his legs underneath him made it that much worse. I don't know that he necessarily gets dropped with that shot if he has his legs. But Dustin Poirier, he take, took his legs out, and he, he fought almost a perfect fight for the most part. The first round was tough for him, but Dustin exploited a, a hole in Connor's game, which is his stance, and the fact that he doesn't really defend kicks. He doesn't really defend kicks very well. Not technically. He doesn't defend kicks. So he exploited a hole that everybody's seen, but nobody's gotten far enough along in a fight to really exploit against him. Nate Diaz doesn't kick at all, so you, he wouldn't exploit it. Chad Mendez is more of a body kicker. He's not really a leg kicker, more of a puncher body kicker. Um, Dustin Poirier didn't get a chance to attack his legs in the first fight. Jose Aldo didn't get a chance to attack his legs in their fight because he got knocked out too quickly. Max Holloway at that point wasn't as balanced a striker as he is, so he didn't attack his legs. So a lot of people have seen this hole in Connor, but the thing is Connor usually gets you before you have a chance to exploit it. And in this instance, Dustin was able to navigate his strikes, exploit that weakness, and and basically build build a momentum to win the fight in the second round. So let's talk about the leg strikes first, because that's kind of what stood out to me. It was kind of most the most alarming piece of that in my mind, because Connor didn't make any effort to deal with them. He checked, I think, maybe one. But even by that point in time, it was already too late because he had already he was already stumbling around and you could tell his gait was off when he tried to move. What does that tell you about his camp and about their preparation if they weren't able to make any sort of adjustment to an attack that is relatively new in MMA, but it's not... I mean, we've been seeing these low-calf kicks for at least, what, the last two years, maybe? Maybe three? three. Two, three years, yeah. Uh, and like even more, if you watch enough kickboxing, what does that say about their preparation in their camp if they were unable to make any adjustments to that? Well, the adjustments isn't so much bother me because at some point he started trying to check it. He just was checking it incorrectly, as Dustin said. 
he wasn't checking it. He wasn't check, checking it in the correct manner. The issue is that he wasn't prepared for them at all. And given the fact that he likes to use that long stance and, and move the way he is, that's been an opening. Just the kicks themselves or an op- kicks to the leg, attacking the legs is an opening that he's had for years and nobody's been able to exploit. Not, not, not realizing the calf kicks are a weapon basically tells me he was out of touch with mixed martial arts. It's like people always make fun of Floyd when he was fought because he would take time off, but he would come back and dominate. They'd be like, it's so funny. He just comes back. He's so far ahead. The thing about Floyd Mayweather is Floyd Mayweather never takes himself away from the sport completely. He's got a very close eye on the sport of boxing. He's got a very close eye on what's happening. He's always in the gym. He's always watching fighters. He's always navigating, figuring out what are the best tools possible to to be mentally aware. So he's men- he's never caught off guard mentally. He does his research. I don't know that Connor himself was in the loop as far as mixed martial arts. Yeah, he saw fights. Yeah, he knew results. But I don't know how closely he watched fights. And I don't mean just the fights at the top. I mean fights over the past two or three years where he's really watching it. The one thing Connor has always said is winners don't don't look behind them. They look ahead of them. So if he considers himself a winner and he thinks he's better than everybody else, what's the likelihood that he's looking at every single fight, trying to figure out what the new technique is, what the new angle is, how far, how how much of the gap between him and everybody else is closed? Not likely. So I, so that's on Connor. As far as his camp, it really exposed John Kavanaugh. You have to wonder if John Kavanaugh is the genius he makes himself out to be or the MMA um, coach that he makes himself out to be. Because he, because as Connor said, I wasn't expecting it. I never felt anything like that at all, which means he didn't see in, he didn't see it in sparring and nobody brought it up to him previously. And if that's true, then nobody had used it in sparring against him when he's so vulnerable to it. And it's one of the new, it's one of the tricks that everybody uses in the past two or three years and nobody prepared him for that in sparring. Then that means that they, they didn't do their job. And I understand that Connor runs his camp. He's the name. He's a star. But if you're the coach and you're the people associated with that, it doesn't matter if he's a star. Part of your job is to make sure that he doesn't come into any fight unprepared. You can see they were they were prepared for the takedown. He he was able to control himself on the ground, get back up. He was prepared for the clinches. He was able to handle himself in the clinches. He was prepared for the punches. He was able to handle himself in punching exchanges. He was not prepared for one thing, and that was the kicks. And that's inexcusable on two stages. One, it's inexcusable that he didn't know they were coming and didn't have a he didn't have a defense or a counter for them. And two, it's inexcusable on a strategic level because Connor, when he pressures people, if you watch a lot of his fights, he pressures you with what? His hands and that front kick. Now, if he's jabbing and front kicking to the body, it's really hard to settle in for those kicks. When you kick, if he times that and kicks you at the same time you're kicking, he pushes you back. That takes the kick away because every time you swing that kick, he's kicking you to the stomach, kicking you to the chest. If you notice, Connor didn't throw that front kick that he's known for, the front kick that destroyed Chad Mendez. He didn't throw any of that at all. He didn't even fake with it. It was all hands. So not only did you not have him technically ready to defend it or counter it, you didn't even have the right strategy as far as what tools to use to take it away. So you, you basically figured Connor's going to knock him out in the first round. You bought into the hype. Connor's going to knock him out in 60 seconds. Even if that guy lands some leg kicks, it won't be enough. And that's understandable for the fighter. You have to have that confidence before the coaches. That's inexcusable. You get paid money to make sure he goes in there and win. And at the, at the worst case scenario, he doesn't get severely injured. And as you saw after the fight, he's hobbling around on, on a cane. And, and it's not like he took five rounds of punishment. He took like a round and a half and his legs were gone. So that's inexcusable. It's just inexcusable. And it makes me question. It makes all those doubts about his camp being that Connor made the camp. and Those guys aren't that good. And the sparring's not that good. And the coaching isn't that good. It makes all it. It's going to bring all that back up.
because these guys had no answers for him and they clearly did not prepare him for what he was facing. So before we we go down to Connor path, because there's one more big question I have in reference to him. I want to talk about Dustin too again, because I'm seeing a lot of talk about him being the best lightweight in the game right now. I wouldn't be mad at Dana White if they put the UFC title around his waist. Even even though the 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 the, the show was over, they should have done it on during the show. But you know, Dana has his heart on for trying to get Khabib and Conor back in the cage. It's a big money fight. I get it. Uh, we're gonna I'm touch on that in a second, but. Okay. Dustin Poirier, is he the best lightweight in the game right now, or is he just the best one who's been winning these fights with the right eyes on him? Is there someone out there like maybe a Charles Oliveira or Michael Chandler that is actually the best lightweight in the game looking, because I believe Khabib Nurmagomedov is retired. So Dustin Poirier, is he the number one lightweight in MMA to you right now? Well, I mean, you look at the names he's beaten. He's beaten like almost everybody in and around the top 10. Chandler is 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 dynamic as he looks. He's only beaten one guy, and he beat probably the worst guy in the top ten outside of Tony Ferguson. Oliveira has been on a win streak, but who's the name guy Oliveira has beaten? Ferguson, and the version of Ferguson that's left. While it's an impressive win in name, it is impressive because he was able to do what he did against a tough guy. Ferguson isn't the same guy he was a year ago. He wasn't the same guy he was two years ago. He wasn't the same guy he was three years ago. The win matters because Tony Ferguson has a name. If you base it off how Tony Ferguson looks. In his last two or three fights, that win Charles Oliveira had doesn't look as good. Uh, Dustin's already beat Gagey. Uh, who else is there in the lightweight? Bobby Green? I mean, Benil Dariush? It's all guys in the lower half. All the guys in the top half, he's either beaten or he hasn't faced yet. And I don't see how you say anything otherwise. The closest thing to a champion they have was Dustin. He was the last interim champ. Wait, no, I guess, I guess let me say that. Justin Gaethje was because he beat Tony Ferguson, but the way Justin lost recently, he hasn't fought since. And Dustin's had two fights since he's lost. He beat a top-ranked guy in Hooker. He beat a top-ranked guy in McGregor. Just going by the rankings and who he beat, how do you not say that he, he's? How do you say that he's not the best light, lightweight right now? I mean, I I agree with that, and I would like to see him fight Charles Oliveira next. I do agree with his response that he doesn't feel like Michael Chandler's next in line. I understand that that's probably the bigger fight because, you know, Americans are going to get behind that fight because there's two Americans fighting, unfortunately. And that's the target demographic for the UFC right now. But my opinion, I would put Charles Oliveira next as the next top contender. What about you? Uh, I think so. It's an, it's an interesting, it's an interesting stylistic fight. It's, it's a style that um, Dustin doesn't have a lot of experience. It's a guy who's on a win streak and has done so against the UFC competition, so you kind of know where he's at and what he has to offer. It's not a sexy fight. It probably doesn't sell that much. And as popular as Dustin is, he's never been a big seller as far as pay-per-views without a, without a strong A-side. So I can see why the UFC might not want to make that fight just because Dustin's not a big enough name to sell it, and Charles Oliveira is definitely not a big enough name to sell it. All the people who want that fight are people who are going to watch the fights anyways, not the casuals, and that's what they want. So... I would like to see it be Oliveira. If it's not going to be Oliveira versus Dustin, then I would just like to see Dustin fight somebody else and have um, and have Oliveira and Chandler fight. My my big thing with Dustin is I don't I don't think Dustin is concerned with belts as much anymore because Dustin's had an interim belt. I think he he cares somewhat, 
But he said after the hooker fight, he wants big fights. He wants name fights. And Michael Chandler's not a name fight. Charles Oliveira is in a name fight. I guess Justin Gaethje is a name fight, but he already beat him. And that's not as big as a rematch with Connor or a fight with Nate. He wants to make good money. I don't think I don't think Justin Poirier is going to be here three to four years from now. I think he's going to he wants to get in, get some big fights. If he can get a title shot, but most of all, he wants big fights. They're going to offer him an opportunity to spread the word about his charity and set him up for his life after fighting. And you need big events to do that. Michael Chandler is not a big event. Charles Oliveira is not a big event. And luckily, he doesn't have the title, so now they can't talk him into anything unless they come correct with the money. You don't think after his win on Saturday that Michael Chandler is a big enough name to draw attention? No. The fact that when you're a name person, you don't call people out. They ask you who you want, and you don't have to say anything. When Connor was on, and Connor's still the name guy. Everybody still wants to fight Connor, even though he lost. He's a fraud. He was never that good. Then why do you want to fight him? Because he's where the money is at. Why do people call out Nate Diaz? Don't be scared, homie, because he's where the money is at. These other guys aren't. When you're the name guy, you're the guy who sells, you don't call people out. People keep calling you out. Floyd Mayweather never called anybody out. Conor McGregor never really called anybody out who didn't have a title. He didn't really call anybody out. I have to have that fight. That's the fight I want. Everybody calls him out because he's where the money is at. And Dustin, as popular as he is, when's Dustin ever sold a million buys? Never. When's Michael Chandler sold a million buys? Never. Charles Oliveira? Never. Khabib sold them, but he sold them on Conor's card. So the fact that he's calling out the popular fighters who draw big names and draw big pay-per-views proves my point. He's not an A-side. He can't generate that kind of money on his own. He can generate it with a good opponent, with a name opponent, but he can't generate it on his own. His biggest pay-per-view was Connor and Khabib. His third highest pay-per-view would be against Nate Diaz. Nate, nobody, Michael Chandler, Gaethje, Charles Oliveira, none of them will sell like a rematch against Connor, a fight against Nate, or if Khabib came back. Those are three far and away. Connor can do a million buys by himself. If Connor fights Dan Hooker as a main event, that will do a million buys. If Connor fights Charles Oliveira as a main event, that'll do a million buys. If Connor fights Tony Ferguson as a main event, that'll do a million buys. He, because he's the name, he's what sells. He doesn't need a name aside from him. He just needs himself. Dustin needs a name. So that actually brings me to the. Final question I had in reference to Conor McGregor. Is he still an elite lightweight? I wrote about this this week. Um, I don't think it's been published for the site yet, but I'm making an argument that he is no longer an elite lightweight. And what I mean by elite lightweight, looking at the top 10, the top, excuse me, not the top 10, the top five names in the division right now, I honestly would have a hard time consistently favoring him over the group. Um, Dustin Poirier, Justin Gaethje, Charles Oliveira, Michael Chandler, and Tony Ferguson. Chandler and Ferguson, I could see that going his way. Oliveira too, because Oliveira gets hurt as well. But my question is, is McGregor still considered an elite lightweight? Is he on the top of the, like the top of the mountain, you know, this guy can be a champion at any, at, at any moment, or did he get exposed in a sense that his game will be easier for guys like Gaethje or Oliveira or even a Chandler and Ferguson to be prepared to fight him in the future? I mean, if you think about Rafael Dos Anjos, Rafael Dos Anjos employed a similar game against Nate Diaz back in the day, chopping his legs out from under him over and over. So did, did the same thing to Anthony Pettis. 
do we look at Conor McGregor as an elite lightweight at this time still? Yeah, I, I do because the only, I mean, the, the, the one argument I keep making to people is if you say Conor's a fraud and you say he's done and he's past his prime, then basically what you're saying is Dustin's win over him doesn't mean anything. And that means Conor's faded. That means Dustin's not that good. You can't have it both ways. You can't say Dustin's a high level lightweight, but then also say he beat up on a guy who was done, who's past his prime. You beat up on a guy past his prime, that doesn't make you great. When, remember when Chris Weidman was on his streak and I kept saying he's beating up on old guys past their prime? Everybody's like, he's so great. I'm like, he's not great. He's beating up on guys who can't defend themselves. That is impressive to me. And as soon as he fought someone who could, he got crushed. Dustin Poirier isn't some guy who can't handle himself. This is the same dude who knocked out Justin Gaethje and sent Eddie, Eddie Alvarez out of the UFC. And, you know, he and he's I mean, you just look at the list of people he's beaten. He's beaten main guy. He beat Dan, Hook, Dan Hooker, Justin Gaethje alone are two top 10 guys. Conor McGregor is another top 10 guys. That means he's 3-0 against top 10 guys. Gaethje, Hooker, um, McGregor, and then you put Eddie Alvarez in there. That's four. That's four guys in the past, what, three, four years in the top 10 that he's, he's run out. He's set, he's, he's set them back as far as their winning streaks and their position in the division. Other guys in the division, Bobby Green, he's already beat them. He's already beaten him. Carlos Diego Ferreira, he's still in. He's already beaten him. Um, what's his name? Anthony Pettis is left. So who in the who in the UFC in the in the light heavyweight lightweight is better than Justin right now? Maybe Michael Chandler. We don't know. He beat up Dan Hooker. Yeah, he's impressive, but that's all we know about him. Dan Hooker, clearly not. Connor, Connor lost to him. So who who are these other guys who are so much better than Dustin? Dustin's an elite lightweight. So the only people that Connor has lost to in the past couple of years has been. The, possibly the best lightweight of all time, the undefeated Khabib Nurmagomedov, and he won a round, which nobody else had done, and Dustin Poirier, who finished him, but by Dustin's own words, was almost finished by Connor earlier in that fight. Connor won the first round, clearly. It wasn't like he was getting smoked. He was holding, he was holding his own. He saw, what, he, saw, he saw what was coming. He was landing his strikes. He was landing counters. He was defending strikes. He got back up when he got taken down, and he got back up fairly easily. It's not like Connor was just mopped by this guy. What Dustin did was he exploited two things. Connor's southpaw stance, because Dustin's a southpaw, which makes those kicks even harder to check, and the fact that Connor doesn't Connor was caught completely unaware by those kicks. Let's just say we change one thing in the fight. Just change one thing. Connor's prepared for those kicks. We take the kick, and I'm not saying to, to downplay it, but you take those leg kicks out of the fight. How do you see this fight going? Dustin's not winning. Connor had no way to take the kicks out of the fight early. He had no way to counter the kicks kicks in the fight late. The kicks were essentially would turn the fight, and the reason they turned the fight is because Connor had no he had no no preparation for him. He had no answer for him, which is on him, but it's partly on his camp. But he didn't get mobbed. He hasn't ever just gotten dominated. Khabib walked through Justin Gaethje. He walked through Justin Poirier. He didn't walk through Connor McGregor, and Justin Poirier didn't walk through Connor McGregor either. Charles Oliveira, I don't think, beats him. He's not really much of a leg kicker, and if he tries to, he's going to get countered. Those shots that Dustin took, Dustin's got a really great chin. Dustin's been in wars with the best hit, biggest hitters in the division. Charles Oliveira doesn't have that chin. Tony Ferguson used to have that chin. He no longer has that chin. Tony Ferguson is past his prime. Connor might be a little bit past it, but he's still clearly one of the top three to four guys in the division. He's not a top six guy in the division. If losing to losing to Dustin Poirier makes you number six in the division, I don't know what losing to a Bobby Green or Tony Tony Ferguson would do to you because they're lesser fighters. So, so he this got is what I want to say about Connor here, and this is what this is kind of how I'm thinking of it. 
I'm questioning if he's still an elite fighter at this point in his career. And I'm going to compare it to Ronda Rousey, for example. Ronda Rousey was an elite fighter for her nearly her entire run. But there was a point where the game caught up to her. She didn't make adjustments and the game surpassed her. You saw that with Holly Holm and Amanda Nunez, and they ran around the game. Conor McGregor's three and three in his last six fights. And those six fights have occurred over over five years. So he's 32 now, I believe. 32. Uh, yep, 32, turning 33 later on this year. In order for him to return to an elite-level fighter, he needs to take fights that he picks up wins, and he can pick up wins and pick up wins consistently well. He is not a pay-per-view main event fighter anymore. He might be a ESPN card um, main event fighter, sure, but I don't believe that they can put they can they can quickly slot him in a in a main event unless if it's unless if it's like against a Nate Diaz or a Jorge Masvidal. Those types of fights, he could probably still do a main event there. But talking about the lightweight division, he's number six right now. He has to, I would see him either fighting a Tony Ferguson, who is in need he'll, of a win. He'll beat Ferguson. He'll be a quick. I, 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 and I think he will he would beat Ferguson. Michael Chandler can turn down a fight against Conor McGregor right now. So can Charles Oliveira, Justin Gaethje, and Poirier obviously has the um he's number one. As far as I'm as far as I'm talking right now, I'm considering Poirier the champion. I don't think Khabib comes back. Connor has to fight either Tony Ferguson, but you look at the rest of the roster, who does he fight from there? Does he take a fight against Rafael Dos Anjos? I think that's a dangerous fight for him right now. Dan Hooker, I think he defeats Dan Hooker. I think Paul Felder would be a tough out for him. Um, it would be a nasty fight, and it would probably be a tough out for him. That's Paul Felder's ranked number nine in the division right now. McGregor could become, he could be considered, he could, he could build his way back the same way Dustin Poirier built his way back after being defeated by Conor McGregor the first time after he got knocked out by Michael Johnson. I just don't think McGregor is that type of athlete at this point in his career to build himself back. I When I when he first beat Donald Cerrone, everybody kept saying they wanted Poirier, they wanted Gaethje. I'm the only person I know who said, I want him to be busy. I didn't even want him to fight Cerrone. What I wanted him to do is fight somebody who's good, but somebody who's durable. Durable enough to have to make him go rounds, durable enough to expose some holes, but not good enough to exploit them. I said he should fight Anthony, he should fight Anthony Pettis, Donald Cerrone, and Dan Hooker. Those should be the three people who should fight. Because when he was on his streak, and nobody remembers this, when he was on his streak, when he was most dominant, he was fighting, 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 fighting. He got injured, his injured his knee, he's not turned down the fight with, with Chad Mendez. Jose Aldo goes down. I'm not waiting for Jose. I'm gonna fight Chad Mendez. I'm gonna fight um I forgot that short German guy. He was kept fighting all the time. He needs Seaver. rounds and he needs fight. Dennis Seaver, yeah. He needs rounds and he needs fights and he needs activity. A lot of what his fighting style is is based off timing. It's based off timing and accuracy. I don't care how much you work in the gym. If you're not actually fighting, you're going to lose something on timing and accuracy. You have to have activity. You have to be seeing different styles. You have to have guys who get hit with your shots and keep on going and get through a first round or something. That's what he needs. He needs rounds. He needs some pushback. And he hasn't been able to be busy. If he would have had a fight coming into this after Cerrone, let's say he would have fought Pettis after. He would have fought anybody after. I believe he would have won. And then he'd be even sharper and ready for 
Poirier. Part of the reason was his his strike, his his hands looked better, but his timing wasn't quite there, and he wasn't really he didn't acclimate himself to MMA. He took himself out of the game, and then he just jumped back in. He took himself out of the game and jumped back in against Dustin Poirier. I thought he would win, so I admit that I was wrong. But I also thought he'd be using his front kick. I also thought he'd be if you're gonna sit on settle down on your punches, that you're not gonna let the guy kick you, kick you. The minute he kicks you, you fire off the counter. And you don't fire it to the head because he can slip or block. You fire it hard to the body. Every time he touches you, you touch him right back to the body early. Or you kick him to the body to offset the kick. He didn't do any of that stuff. He didn't do any of the things that I expected him to do coming in this. And as much as we want, if you want to compare it to the Ronda Rousey thing, which I understand, there were two people in the division who could beat Ronda. If Ronda came back right now, outside of Holly Holm and Amanda Nunes, and I don't know that she wouldn't beat Holm at this point, every other girl in the division, she would kick the shit out of. Back then, if you would have put her in against Julia Pena first and then had Amanda Nunes, she would have beat Pena. She would have been sharper, had her confidence up, coming off of a win and giving Nunes a better fight. They threw her in with the best fighter in the in the WMMA in her first fight back. They threw Conor in with the number one, number two lightweight in the world on his first fight coming back. All the other guys haven't fought. Gaethje hasn't fought. Ferguson lost. Who's the other guy with two wins over top? Who's, who's the other guy with a record similar to... To Poirier, nobody. So well, while I expected Charles him, Oliveira, Charles Oliveira's been on a streak, dude. Charles Oliveira's been beating up on second tier guys. Dan Hooker let, would let be, hold on. Hold on, Dan me. Hooker, Dan Hooker would, would be better, most better than everybody he fought except for Tony Ferguson. Like, Dan Hooker beat a lot of the guys he's 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 winning out. He's he's faced. So you said Charles. So Charles. Okay. So Charles Oliveira's two big wins. Right now are Tony Ferguson and Kevin Lee. Kevin Lee, that's a big win now. That was a big win two years ago. Kevin Lee, Kevin Lee fought for a title. That's fine, but if you put Conor McGregor against Kevin Lee instead of Dustin Poirier, Kevin McGregor would have knocked Kevin Lee out, and he would knock Bobby Green out, and he would knock Charles Oliveira out. Dustin Poirier is a high level fighter. I I take nothing away from him. I thought he would lose, so I'm not going to change my article. But I never said that Dustin was a pushover. Mm-hmm. Dustin was a lead guy. So losing to the very losing to the top one of the top two guys in the division, that and losing in the way he lost, yeah, he got out technique, he got out slick, but it wasn't like he didn't have Dustin in trouble. It wasn't like he didn't hurt Dustin. That's Dustin's own word. He could have finished me. He hurt me. If he would have turned it up, I would have been done. Dustin, he didn't. Dustin fooled him. He didn't, and Dustin walked him down. But Dustin admits I was this close to being finished myself. That doesn't take anything away from Dustin. It's just the truth. He didn't say that about Dan Hooker. He didn't say that about Justin Gaethje. He said it about anybody else. He's an honest guy. He's a straight-up dude. Connor had me dead to rights. He let off the gas. I took back over. He didn't lose in a manner that tells me he can't compete. The only question, like you, you said, does he have the focus? Will he bite down and do the things he needs to do, whether it's bringing in better sparring, bringing in other coaches, focusing 100% to get better? If he does that, he can still compete. If he doesn't, we're going to start seeing him lose against a certain caliber person, maybe a Michael Chandler, maybe a Justin Gaethje, even though both of those guys are so hittable. I, I think he hits just he hits Michael Chandler clean. I think that's a short night. That's just how I see it. Gaethje, devastating fighter. But once again, he's a guy who gets hit a lot by anybody who's a competent striker. Could they win? Sure. I'm not going to say it's an automatic. I'm not. I'm not going to see a guy who got knocked out by a pit bull telling me he's going to walk through Conor McGregor. That ain't going to happen. Dustin, what, Dan Hooker's going to walk through Conor? Who's... Who's this guy who's going to walk through him? And you can't put Connor on ESPN. Connor is a million buys no matter who he fights. They are no way they're putting him on ESPN. He could fight Dan Hooker. He could fight Bobby Green. It will do, do a million buys. He fights Paul Felder. It is a million buys, minimum. 
he just sells. So they're never going to put him on ESPN card. That's a waste. You want all that money for yourself. So if I was Connor, I'd take two fights like against a Paul Felder, maybe a uh, Dan Hooker. Dan Hooker's coming off a loss. Paul Felder's coming off a loss. Fight one of them. Get a win under your belt. Best case scenario, get another win under your belt and then go back for the elite. That's what I would do. Make myself razor sharp. Dustin Poirier has been very active the last year and a half. Connor hasn't. This is Dustin's second. The last thing I'll say about this is that Connor McGregor cannot afford to take two losses in a row. That is true. He cannot afford to take two losses in a row. So he needs to be very careful about who he picks next, when, and how he fights this person and how he prepares to fight this person. He cannot take two losses in a row. To be fair, every time he's lost, he has come back very successfully. Uh, I don't what know. Is the definition of very successfully because he lost to Nate Diaz, then he then he got a majority decision against Nate Diaz, and then he walked then later through, on that year. And then he walked through Eddie Alvarez right then after he that. Eddie Alvarez. Then he fought Khabib Nurmagomedov, and then he fought Donald Cerrone, which was like, I mean, Donald Cerrone wasn't a challenge. Not, I, no one, everyone knew that that fight was going to end up that way. True enough, but if you're if you're not the guy, you're completely faded. Donald Cerrone gives you a tough fight. Donald Cerrone gave Tony Ferguson a tough tough fight. People forget that he How gave many him years ago. Was that? It was it was like a year ago. He fought him before he fought he fought him before he fought Justin Gaethje. He gave him a tough fight. He beat Anthony he fought, Pettis. He fought Justin. He fought. Uh, he fought Anthony Pettis, and he gave him a tough fight. Anthony Pettis is a big hitter. Why didn't Anthony Pettis walk through Donald Cerrone? Because Anthony Pettis is also punch drunk, and Tony Ferguson stopped. Donald Cerrone in the second round. It was a tough fight. Look at that first round. That was competitive. He was getting hit. He was giving as good as he's getting. And, t- and, and Pettis might be punk drunk, but if you're going to give me credit for Charles Oliveira's win streak, Anthony Pettis left the UFC on a three-fight win streak. Who was he beating on the way out? I, I, I'm not, I don't know who he's beating. He's, it's com- except for Ferguson. Except he was on a two-fight win streak on his way out. And he beat Alex Moreno, mm-hmm. who all and I mean Alex Moreno and Donald Cerrone. So you see how it always comes back to Donald Cerrone is a punch drunk, and we can't mm-hmm. we can't we mm-hmm. can't value that win anymore. I get I get completely what you're saying, but like I said, if you're really done, if he was really as bad as you think he is, if and that that went over Cerrone means nothing, then you'd have to take away from Poirier's win because Poirier was getting pieced up by him in the first round. Poirier, so you're saying Poirier got hurt by a washed-up fighter. He was almost finished by a washed-up fighter. No, I'm not calling him washed-up. I'm saying that he is he's on the cusp of no longer being an elite 155-pound fighter. And what I mean by elite 155-pounder, we're talking about a guy who is right there in the title picture. His next fight could be a title fight, and we would all be okay with that. Conor McGregor, if his next fight was announced to attempt tomorrow and it was a title fight, everybody would look at that like, what the hell? If, if they announced a title fight against Dustin Poirier six to eight months from now and said it was going to be Conor and Dustin, nobody would have a problem with it, and 90% of people would favor Conor McGregor over Dustin. I mean, he's already opened up as a favorite over so, Conor no, over, no, um, Dustin. Nobody, nobody would have a problem with that fight because even though Dustin won it cleanly, they saw the fight. They saw Connor win the first round and looked sharp the first round. And they heard Dustin Poirier say, I was two strikes. I was two seconds from being finished. And if he would have pressed me, I would have been done. His words, not mine. 
And fighters don't give anybody credit. Fighters don't give anybody credit anytime. He didn't hurt me. He doesn't hit that hard. His wrestling's terrible. They don't give anybody credit. Dustin shot straight. He would have he upped the pressure. I would have been done. So people are going to say the fight was competitive. It was. It, it, it wasn't a blowout. It wasn't domination. It was competitive. The kicks were clean. He outclassed them. But even with the kicks, he Connor was still getting to him. Was he getting into the way he should have? No. Getting to the way I like? No. Did he still lose? Clearly. But the fight was a competitive fight. It's going to take more than just kicking Connor in the leg to stop him. Not just anybody can do that. I don't really believe Rafael Ra- Desanias can do it, to be quite honest. I'd have to see it. I'm not saying he wouldn't have a chance. I'd have to see it. All right, so let's move on because we can talk about this. We can talk about that specific piece all day. Michael Chandler, he got a big win over Hooker, and I, I've always thought we kind of valued Hooker a little bit too high. You were right, um, but he picked up a clean win over Hooker, knocking him out in the first round. I don't think he's next for Dustin Poirier, but who would you have uh, Michael Chandler fight next? Period. Who would you have him fight next? If I don't have him fight. Poirier, which he's not going to. He's got two choice. Well, Justin Gaethje just has some deaths in his family, so you know that's not fight's not going to happen. There's no point in fighting Tony Ferguson. He's already been kind of exposed. Um, Poirier's not there. To be honest, if I'm Poirier, I sit back and la- and have him fight um and have him fight uh Oliveira. Whoever wins out of that gets a title fight. That could be a um, good one there. Oliveira, and- Oliveira, he'd be the best opponent Oliveira's face in years. And Oliveira would be the best UFC fighter he's fought. He beats he beats Hooker and Oliveira. I can justify. I can at least the, the title fight seems more earned. And then Daniel Pesaporia couldn't talk his way out of it. They'd be like, dude, he won two fights in a row. What do you what do you want him to do? Over two high ranked fighters. What do you want him to do? He finished a guy you didn't finish, and he beat the guy who's on a four or five fight win streak, and he knocked him out too. What do you, you can't if you don't want the title fight, that's fine. But we're gonna move on. So that those two fights, that those, those are only fights available to him. Oliveira or Fourier? Let me see something real quick too. I think Oliveira's on a seven fight win streak. It's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. He's on an eight fight win streak. Eight fight win streak. So he beats him. He takes all his power. He can justify himself getting a title fight from that point on. And Dustin can't say anything about it. Dustin can say, well, I'm not going to take it or I'm going to take it. Anybody else Chandler fights is a step back. It's a step back from Hooker. It's a step back from Oliveira. He wants to take step forwards. If he can't get Poirier, they have to make it versus Oliveira. And then whoever wins that fight gets to challenge Poirier for the title. What about the Justin or, Gaethje fight? I've seen that one thrown around a lot. Justin Gaethje's grandmother and grandfather died recently. I don't think he's in the mindset of the fight. I didn't see that. I didn't know that. Okay, well, yeah, that, 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 that makes sense. Hey, I, I heard that. I heard that what? Yesterday, yesterday afternoon, and so I can imagine as close as he was with his family that he's going to be in the right mindset to fight. Maybe he would. Justin seems like a guy who kind of rises high and low with emotion. I I don't know. Maybe he would, but if Chandler knocked him out, I'd be like, ah, you know, he wasn't really into it. His heart wasn't into it. I I just rather see the Oliveira fight. The the, engage is coming off a loss. That's a step back. Oliveira Poirier, the only fights that make sense to me. Okay. All right, so now we got Joanne Calderwood. Uh, oh, one, one more thing, one more thing, one more thing. I agree with you on Hooker. The thing about Daniel Hook, uh, Dan Hooker is if you look, once again, you look at his record, he beat some good guys, but he didn't really beat any elite guys. His reputation has been made that he took a huge amount of punishment and w- was competitive in fights with the best. Huge amount of punishments for Poirier, competitive loss. Huge amounts of punishment against Edson Barboa, 
but eventually, Edson Barbosa eventually got broken down and lost. He, when he 45, he fought Yara Rodriguez, lost to him. He's never beaten really a name guy in the division. He's always beaten guys who were kind of not in the division or like second or third tier fighters. He's got an interesting personality. He's a fairly good looking dude. He's an exciting style. That's what's built his name. Um, my, my, my call to fight was pretty much if Chandler gets to him first, Chandler will wipe him off the board. If he gets to Chandler first, he can wipe him off the board. The minute I saw Dan Hooker fighting off his back foot, I knew it was over. Dan Hooker's not a defensive fighter. He's not a technical fighter. He's an educated brawler, and fighting off his back foot was never going to work. Uh, he was biting on all the things. He wasn't comfortable with Chandler's speed, and the minute Chandler touched him, it was over. And it's an impressive knockout because Dan Hooker's known as being tough, but if you're tough, that means you've been taking beatings. You can't take beatings for the better part of four years and think you're going to be the same fighter against pretty much the biggest one-punch fighter you're going to face moving forward. The interesting thing I thought about this fight is everyone was talking about the, the war he put on with uh, Poirier and the war he put on with Paul Felder. And yeah, I get it, but we need to be concerned about that beating he took at the hands of Edson Barbosa. Like, that's the one that started the onslaught of him taking a lot of damage, and that was a long time ago. In, in in MMA space, that was a long time ago. And we need to be concerned about the amount of damage he's been taking. Yeah. I mean, when you're a guy who gets by on your grit and your, your cardio and your volume, there's a price to pay for that. And I know his camp is, is better than that. But Hooker's the kind of guy who, when it gets to a certain point, he throws the game plan out and he makes it a test of wills, which is fine against a certain caliber of fighter. You can outgrit them. You can outhustle them. You can outfight them. Against the best of the best, that tough guy act, it does not work. You have to fight perfect fights, and he's not a perfect fighter. Not technically, not strategically, not physically. So he's always going to take huge amounts of punishment. The Chandler fight, thank God, was very short. But like you said, that Barboza fight, that Poirier fight, that Felder fight, those are the kind of fights that shorten your career. And for a guy who's at best, maybe a slightly above average athlete, you don't have a lot of career to be taking those shots. When he declines, it will be like he fell off a cliff. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not looking forward to yeah. that at all. What are your thoughts about Joanne Calderwood? She picked up a big win on Saturday, uh, defeating Jessica I, and now she's being kind of slotted back as maybe she's done enough to win back that title shot she lost to Jennifer Maya when Valentina was hurt. Do you think she's someone that should get that shot? And how would that fight really play out? Because Calderwood has size and she has. She has the striking IQ, but does she have anything to offer Shevchenko? Well, the first thing, the win, the win is fairly impressive because she, she was able to control this and she won the fight at, at range with her kicks and her punches. And in the clinch, she just completely dominated. She manhandled I. To be fair, I did, I did make her work harder than she wanted to because in that first, first round, I thought JoJo might gas. She looked like she was winded. She was red. She looked like she was, throw, she was throwing more than she was used to throwing. She was grappling in clinches more than she was used to grappling. She was getting pushed back a little bit. So I at least tried to jump on her early and exploit the fact that she's a slow starter. It's just that this weight class, um, I is kind of a flawed fighter. At, at Bantamweight, she used her speed to get to, to take advantage. At this weight, she's more tries to use her grappling, and she's not a great grappler or a great wrestler, and she uses her strength and physicality. Against most fighters, that works. Against Joanne Calder when it didn't, and Calderwood just basically walked her down and beat her up and roughed her up in the clinch and just bullied her. You know, once she started face, she broke her down. Um, it shows that once again, Calderwood is a physical force in there. She has power, she has skill, she has striking IQ and pedigree, and and she's fairly durable. If if she can get past the first few moments of the first round, she's durable. 
the question is always going to be the fact that JoJo is so freaking slow. I mean, you see, you're seeing it throw combinations, and they they look good because they're sharp. But I've never heard anybody say that JoJo has blazing hand speed or blazing foot speed or blazing leg speed. Have you ever heard anybody say that? No, she definitely looks slow. And and no offense, everybody who throws a punch at her hits her. And I mean, everybody. Jessica, I was Jessica, I was land, landing fairly well on her. It's just Jessica, I couldn't really hurt her or back her back her off, and she was giving as good as she took. JoJo could take her shots better than Jessica could take hers. But, you know, again, the issue with Valentina is Valentina's a counter-striker. So if you lead, she's going to punish you. And the second issue is Valentina's a much, much better athlete. So at striking range, when she's throwing those kicks, that kick will probably be get, get caught, have a right hand down the pipe. She throws a jab, there's a good chance she'll get that parried, jab, and then follow with a right hand. Or they'll, she'll slip it and slip it and step to the side and kick her, kick her to the body. There's just so many one or two strike com one strike shots pot shots or two shot combos that valentina can land off of jojo's striking at range jojo's best bet was to do what jennifer maya does take some punishment do everything you can to get your hands on her and then you get into clinches and it's 50 50 because jojo's a very good clinch fighter she's not as good at takedowns from the clinches but she's physically strong and she's got a sturdy build so valentina won't be able to push her around she's not gonna be able to hold her on the cage she's not gonna take her down and just and just run over her JoJo will be able to get back up. JoJo will be able to get off the cage. JoJo will be able to strike with her on some even terms. The problem is always going to be the athleticism. JoJo's like a step and a half, if not two steps and a half, behind Valentina. And if it's an open space, she's not going to be able to catch her. And if it comes to a matter of Valentina going transitioning from strikes into takedowns, JoJo's not quick enough to stop her. She is tough enough to, ha- to, to handle the output. She's physical enough to get back to her feet. She's physical enough to hurt Valentina. But she'd have to be on her P's and Q's. 100% to win that fight. But her, her, like you said, her size and her physicality is an issue. And every time Valentina fights somebody who's big and strong and durable, she doesn't fight the same. She fights a little cautious. She did it against Carmouche. She did it against Maya. I believe she'd do it against JoJo, too. But once she figures you out and turns it on, I don't know that JoJo has an answer for her if she gets to that point. And I don't think JoJo hits hard enough to finish her. Good thoughts there, sir. I agree with you on that. I think, man, I don't know what to do with Valentina right now, but we'll see what that division kind of shakes out to look like. Um, Marina Rodriguez picked up a big win over Amanda Hibas, and that first round, it looked a little bit choppy. It looked like, okay, this is what Hibas is going to try to do for the majority of the fight, get um, Marina down and just play the position game. But Marina has something something for her in that second round, dropping her. Then there was a scare of the Herb Dean stoppage and then going back in there and finishing her basically a second time. Were you surprised that this happened, or this was a very dangerous fight for Hibas? I mean, even though she was ranked lower than Marina, she came in as a favorite. But this was a very dangerous fight for um, Hibas at this point in her career. I I thought the fight would be. T- I thought Hibas would pull it out. I thought the fight would be tough because Marina uh, has shown that she's got a good skill set across the board. Like she can wrestle some. Defensively and offensively, she can grapple defensively and offensively. She can strike to a degree defensively and offensively. She's probably maybe a little bit stronger in the striking just because she's got some athleticism and some grit. But the thing about it is the people that Amanda Rivas has really beaten, it's been girls who are very limited in their skill sets. Um, what I forgot the girl she meet, uh, the grappler. Uh, Paige? Mackenzie Dern. She fought Mackenzie Dern. Mackenzie Dern's a terrible wrestler. 
Mackenzie Dern's not great defensively grappling, especially in MMA context. And Mackenzie Dern, at that point, was a very attribute-based, predictable, limited telegraph striker. So she had two areas where she could completely dominate her in, striking and takedown. She could transition into those throws. When he, when Dern tried to throw her, she could counter him, take her down. She could shoot and take her down. She just had so many ways to control the fight and throw Dern off. Against Paige Van Zandt, Paige has been known as a tough, well-conditioned, gritty fighter, but Paige has never been thought of as a technical fighter. Technically, she's not great striking in open space. Technically, she's not great on the ground. Even her wrestling is not really great. It's a result of her conditioning and her activity and the pace she puts on people. That's what wins her fights in grapple in wrestling exchanges. And um, when you're a girl, when you're somebody who fights in wrestling exchanges against a high-level grappler, most likely you're going to walk into submissions. You're going to walk into bad positions. This is what she did. Marina was the first person who had the ability to make her work in various spots. And that's what happened. When when he just took her down, usually she just controls people and either pounds them pounds out pounds them out or submits them. That's what happens when she gets in those positions. She dominates people in those positions. She got Marina in those positions. And Marina's elbowing, cracking her in the face with elbows from the bottom. Rebus was Rebus wasn't expecting that. She was expecting to come in and have her way. She was expecting to come in and physically dominate. Because every time she hits a girl, a girl kind of covers up and goes away. Every time she takes a girl down, she can control her and do what she wants. Every time she Every time a girl takes her down, she gets right back up. Every time a girl hits her, she can take it and fire right back. She's been able to have it her way in every fight she's been in. Because Randa Marcos had it her way. Emily Whitmore had it her way. Mackenzie Dern had it her way. Paige Manzant had it her way. Who's the person she's had to face who's been really actively able to fight her on every level? And when, she, when it got tough, she started making mistakes. She got over-anxious, she got over-aggressive, and she got caught. It, it doesn't mean she's a bad fighter. It doesn't mean it's the end of the world for her. But the first time she faced real-life resistance with somebody she couldn't di- dictate to in multiple ranges of the fight, she failed. Now, we can say there was a lucky punch. We can say that she was tired. But why did she get tired? Because she got the position she wanted, and, and Marina got out. Marina was able to do damage from her. When she got Marina on the feet, she couldn't take her down. She couldn't control her. When Marina hurt her, she didn't have any answers. So I thought Marina would test her because there was no one area that Rebus was just going to run her over in. And my question was, how's Amanda's poise? How's her maturity? How's her cardio when she just can't dictate the pace of a fight? And she looked a little tired and she looked a little sloppy. And um, it's like she wasn't really prepared to get hurt. And she wasn't prepared to not be able to dominate in every position she got into. So it's not a bad setback. It just means she needs to go back to the drawing board and start maybe getting some better sparring and and face people who can put her in spots she's not comfortable with and people who can get out of the spots that she's comfortable with. Because as long as she's imposing her will, she looks like a million bucks. But the first fight where she really had to fight back against somebody who just wasn't accepting it and wasn't on the defensive, she didn't look great. She did not look great. Interesting there, sir. Um, Juliana Pena, is she next for Amanda Nunez or is she just talking herself into a beatdown? Um, to be honest, there's not a lot of names in the division. Nunes would probably beat everybody else. So having somebody who's going to talk a little bit and, and call her out and, and request her sets up kind of a storyline. It makes it kind of interesting. I mean, the losses she's had to Duran to me kind of take some of her steam off, but she's two and one in her return since then. And she looked good against McMahon. I mean, the fight against McMahon was just going to come down to two things. McMahon's a better wrestler. McMahon's a better athlete. McMahon's a biggest, bigger hitter. But McMahon's a front runner. She's like, and it's almost like the Amanda Hebas thing. When McMahon can clearly scare you off on the feet 
or get clean takedowns and you concede where you're just defending and throwing up submissions, she's fine because she gets to rest, she gets to control the pace, she gets to dictate how the fight's going. Julia Pena doesn't have an elite skill except for the fact that no matter where you take the fight, Julia Pena is going to fight you. She's going to make you fight. She's not great on the feet, but if you're going to swing, she's going to swing hard back. She's going to make you earn it. You take her down, you take her down, she's going to fight the takedown and try to reverse and create a scramble. If you get her down, she's going to try to hit. She's going to try to, once again, when she gets secure, she's going to fight for position. She's going to strike from the bottom. She's going to try and get herself up. When she's forced to work, McMahon tires. And when she tires, she gets sloppy and she gives up positions and she essentially basically gets finished. I mean, this is like the Misha Tate fight all over again. There was no safety zone for Sarah McCann, McMahon, and when she didn't have a safety zone, she mentally fell apart and made mistakes. This doesn't tell me that Julia Pena is technically ready for Amanda Nunes because she's not. Her striking is still more educated, broader than technical. Her wrestling is still a matter of her pace, her conditioning, and, and her size than it is more actual, technical, clean, top-level wrestling technique. And her grappling, while not bad, I mean, you got submitted by Valentina Shevchenko and Duran Duran to me. You can tell me you were overconfident. You can tell me whatever you want. The fact is you got submitted by two, two of the worst grapplers in the UFC. And they submitted you and did it, did it early. So this fight shows it, it doesn't tell me anything different about her. And it doesn't tell me she beats Amanda Nunes. She's tough. She'll make it a fight. But defensively, she's not great. Um, offensively, she's not great. Her only saving grace would be that she's phys- maybe she's physically tough enough to keep fighting and to keep pushing Nunes. So that you get into a second and third round, which is usually where she turns it on, and then Nunes would fade from having to actually work to hold position, work to get position, and having somebody who instead of covering up when you hit up is going to fire right back at you and make you work. If she doesn't knock, she doesn't knock pin you out in the first round, Nunes could be in for a long night. But as far as skill set and IQ, um, it, it's not really close. But then again, I, I have my doubts about how, how bad Amanda Nunes wants it anymore. But... but um, like it was a good win by Pena, but it didn't tell us anything new about her. She's she's basically been the same fighter for the entirety of her time in the UFC. Same stuff I liked about her back then is here, and the same stuff I hated about her is still here. So it was a good win, though. Well, fantastic, there, sir. This was a good card. I I it, I, I enjoyed the main card. The rest of it was kind of slow, but um, I enjoyed the main card definitely from start to finish. I've been waiting though, Schwan, to talk to you about your boy, Ryan Garcia, and this situation with Manny Pacquiao. Now, a lot of people are poo-pooing on this, and they're automatically shitting on it, and I get that. You know, it's Manny Pacquiao. I think he's, what, 42 now at this point in, in his career, and he's not the he's not the same guy that was knocking everybody out back in the day. I get it. But I heard a pretty interesting comparison for this fight. Uh, I think Luke Thomas and... um. Are you laughing at it? it? It's interesting. I'll say that. I heard a pretty interesting comparison, and they compared it to when Mayweather fought Canelo, and that it's a fight that is everything's there for Canelo to take if he were to win that fight. But if he loses, it doesn't hurt him as much, and he has an opportunity to build himself back up the way he has today. I mean, he's the biggest man in boxing right now. Is this the same situation for Ryan Garcia? Uh, to a degree, yes. Um, Canelo was a better fighter at that point. Even at that stage, Canelo was a better f- fighter. He'd faced more experienced opponents. He'd beaten better opponents. Even though they were a little faded, he'd still beaten better opponents than Ryan Garcia had at this point. Technically speaking, there wasn't as much of a gap between Floyd. I mean, there's a big gap between Floyd and Canelo, but the gap between Floyd and Canelo isn't as wide as the gap between Manny and uh, Ryan Garcia. The reason it makes sense for Ryan Garcia is because 
he's not he hasn't proven himself to be a star as far as pay per view and ratings. But he, what he has done is made a strong presence on social media. And when he does interviews, he seems very energetic. He seems very engaging. He's a guy who understands how much being able to relate to fans who aren't fighters and, be, and make yourself accessible to fans who aren't necessarily boxing fans, how important that is, how, much, how important that is to your bottom line. All he needed is the right opponent to really take him to the next level. And facing someone like Manny Pacquiao, whether it's a real fight or just an exhibition fight, is a chance for him to expand his brand on a worldwide level. Manny Pacquiao still does, you know, 700,000, 800,000, 900,000, million, million buys type fighter. That's the kind of audience Ryan Garcia has never had before. And now he's going to have them because, of course, they're going to do a Showtime, you know, all access or whatever. He's going to have every opportunity to tell his story. He's going to have every opportunity to show his charm, his good looks, and to get the fans to believe that he has a chance to win this fight. And all, all he has to do is perform adequately. And that'll be enough to get the respect of the casual fan. And that'll be enough to to basically, if he fights well, I mean, if he wins, he's in another category. I don't care if it's the a faded man in Pacquiao or not. If he wins that fight, he's in a whole other category now. He is in a superstar category. His popularity will explode. Everybody who's been making fun of him is going to be coming to him, wanting a fight with him because he's going to be the new cash cow. And even if he loses... Even if he loses, he's still going to have name value. He's going to still have demand top end money because the money he's getting against, against Pacquiao isn't going to be two or three million. It's going to be big money. And if he puts up a good fight and he sells himself well to the audiences and to the sponsors and to non boxing fans, he has a chance to turn himself into a superstar. When people lost to Floyd, they had career high paydays. And from that point on, they had higher paydays because there's a value coming having fought Floyd and getting all that extra attention, all the extra exposure. That's. If you're a faded fighter, that's good for another year or two of, of name fights because you've been associated with Floyd and so many people are familiar with you now. That's what sells boxing, not just the fighting skills, but are you familiar? Do I know who you are? Do I have a reason to care? Ryan has, a, has the opportunity to build all of that up. And even though Manny should knock him out or stop him, because Manny's better fighter, bigger hitter, better chin, better condition, Manny is super old. And... Ryan, while not a knockout puncher, not the sturdiest fighter, Ryan is very fast. And Manny's fast in spots, but he's not fast like he used to be. Ryan's fast, fast. He's coming up from another weight class fast. So I'm not saying he beats him, but there could be some spots where he actually gives Manny Pacquiao legitimate trouble with his hand speed. I know Manny can move, and he's slick, and he's quick, and he's explosive. Um, I'd say Ryan's going to be the fastest fighter he's faced in the past four years outside of Floyd. And even Floyd wasn't as fast as Ryan at this point. Manny should win. He should win handily. But when you're dealing with somebody with that kind of speed and youth, there's going to be moments where, where Ryan can, can get something done if he's properly prepared and he's ready to pay a price for it. But either way, this is a win or lose. This is a win for him. And for Manny, it's a winnable fight that should draw some attention and, and help him keep sharp for when he decides to fight the bigger names in the division when he's, when, when he's ready. That's what, that's what he's hoping for. This fight will give me sharp. It's a tune-up fight. I'll make some money. Then I'll fight the bigger guys because I'll be ready. That's what that is what he's hoped for. But uh, Ryan, Ryan has a chance to upset the apple cart. I don't know that it's likely, but if he if he wins, oh my lord, it's it's a whole new world for him. It's a whole new world in boxing. That would be the new face of boxing if he wins. That's what I was going to ask next. Is Ryan Garcia that guy? I think we've talked about this in the past, but I mentioned now they talked about this fight happening in September, and that's a whole nother problem on top of that. Uh, between now and then. 
what else? I mean, there's plenty of other things to be talking about in boxing. You wanted to talk a little bit about um, what was it you wanted to talk about? I'm sorry, uh, Raleigh Romero and Stephen Fulton. Yeah, hit, hit me with that. Just and just so you know, if they fought in September, it'd be a while. But there's a whole buildup to the fight because it'd be a big event. It'd probably have fans there, so it's going to be a huge event. When it takes place doesn't matter. The fact that it's taking place will be what happens. Um, I want to talk about Roley Ramirez. He won his fight against Sparrow. Uh, Ramirez is the guy with the title. He he pretty much won the title. He, he lost the fight, but he won the title. Don't ask me how that happened. He's a good prospect. He talks a lot. He draws a lot of interest because he trash talks to people. And he calls up the big names. But um, right now, he's still a work in progress. He, he hasn't been boxing super long. He's more of a guy who's got a good punch, who's physically strong, fairly durable. His boxing, to me, isn't where it needs to be for him to be calling out the guys and he's, he's calling out. He needs time to kind of – he needs fights and he needs time to round out his skill set and to kind of season himself to the finer points of the game. In this fight, he had a guy with short notice. He showed some more discipline in his boxing. He showed some more control. But you still see the holes in there. His, his, as, much as, his, as much as he thinks of himself as a power puncher, he didn't crush that guy. And as much as he thinks of himself as a guy who can impose his will and physically dominate somebody – uh, that guy, when he hit him, he got his respect. And when he put shots together, he backed him up. So he's in a good position because he has a, one of the many world titles, and he can talk, and he can, he can create interest for fights, but he's still not a big seller. And I, I really feel if he tries to face the elite guys at this point, there's a, there's a chance he could hit him with a lucky shot and knock him out or, or ca- catch him slipping, but there's such a skill gap between him and a Lopez and him and a Haney and him and a Davis. You know, I guess Ryan Garcia would be the closest thing to his skill set, and even Ryan Garcia, the best guy Ryan Garcia's fought is 10 times better than anybody that Rolly Romero's fought. But like I said, he, if you give him two or three fights to really kind of find himself, I feel like he might have something. But if they push him in with a name, I, I fully expect him to get beat and beat handily. Okay. It would help if I wasn't on mute. What else in boxing are you looking forward to right now? Um, I was, uh, of course, looking to the forward to the Fury Wilder fight. I'm interested to see Adrian Broner. He's on a kind of a comeback, losing weight, refocusing himself. It's really late in the game for him to do that, given the damage he's taken in fights and damage he's done to his body. But if he can make a, a full turnaround and get to 140 in a, in a healthy manner and make weight, I really believe that he can become, he can make money, for one. And I believe that he could be, you know, somewhere in the top ranks as far as maybe even get a world title in that division. I don't know that he can do it at 47 right now when Spence and Porter move up. I think he might have some opportunities, but at 40, I think he's still a live contender. I think he's clearly one of the most popular names, whether people love him or hate him. And I think he has a chance to contend for a title just based off his name a lot. He puts one or two wins together. People will be calling for a title shot because he's, he's the guy who draws the most attention. He's the guy who draws the most eyes. Everybody likes the redemption, redemption story. And he might really be able to, to do one late in his career. So I'm interested to see how he goes. I'm interested to see, the, of course, Fury and Wilder. And then another guy who won this weekend, Stephen Fulton. I'm interested to see what he does. He, he beat Angela Leo at his own fight. It was a very exciting fight. He walked him down. He got in heavy exchanges. They, I think they broke a record. They were like the number three most fight punches thrown in a fight. And I'm interested to see what he does because in that weight class, there's a lot of good matchups. There's a lot of young contenders, uh, young, title, young title holders, established title holders, and None of those guys makes enough money where they can afford to avoid a guy who has a belt or has some momentum behind them. So those fights in that weight class should be easy to make. 
So I'm very interested to see what happens with him moving forward. And he's a, one of the, the waiter, lighter weight classes. I think he's at 122. So those fights should be very makeable. And I'm, I'm, I'm hoping those fights get made and we get to see some high-quality action in the, very, in the very near future. Good stuff there, Swan. Uh, well, why don't you let everyone know what you're working on, then? We're going to go ahead and close out this show today. Uh, I'm supposed to be finishing up on this Black Lightning breakdown and then I'm um, starting to do some research on the Black Widow and maybe I might do one on the Winter Soldier because they're going to have the Falcon and the Winter Soldier coming out. So some, some big-name big properties, and I just got to... I just gotta sit down and get it done. I always think about it in my head and get the fight scenes broken down, but like to actually sit down, it's very to watch the scenes over and catch everything. Because once again, when you do these, they're just they're not real people. But people will be like, "No, you said it was a left punch and it was a right. You said it was an uppercut and it was a shovel hook." And I'm like, "Jesus Christ, dude! Like, I know what it is. I'm just trying to make it more appealing to comic fans who don't know fighting." But people take this very seriously. They watch it a million times and tell me, "Well, you didn't bring up this fight scene and you didn't notice the hand trap in this angle." And I'm like, I'm catching as much as I can, but I can't cover every single thing because these aren't four, six, ten-page articles I'm writing. This is like a page and a half. So I catch some slick stuff, most of the majority stuff, to give a good representation of who the fighter is, who the who the character is, and how their fighting style kind of relates who they are and some of the finer, pi- finer points, technically and strategically, in that fighting style. But people take these really seriously, so I have to watching back and forth a million times so I catch everything so I don't have some genius telling me, well, you know, you said he used a karate kick, and that was a kung fu kick. And that's a clear Muay Thai kick. What are you talking about? You don't know anything about these made-up people who aren't real. So, uh, just a lot yeah, of work. They argue about that all day, every day, man. Tell them to shut the hell up. And just enjoy the <laughs> as long as they read the article. <laughs> that's true. As long as they click on the link, you're right about that. Um, as always, I'm covering as much uh, pro wrestling and MMA as possible. I have an interview coming up tomorrow. I'm actually going to spend some time tonight preparing for. But outside of that, man, it's just another day in the office working as much as possible. But we will be back next week. Thank you, everyone, to um, thank you, everyone who listened to the show and continue to help us out and support our content. We'll be back next week. As always, uh, we're coming up on episode 200. I got to figure out what the hell we're going to do for that. But yeah, thank you for all the, the support, and we'll be back next week. Everyone have a great weekend and stay safe. Have a good evening, guys.